Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. And let's look at what the Scripture says about God using the weak. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning verse 26, Paul writes to the church and he says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Look at verse 30. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen? Don't boast today in who I am and what I've done and how good I am at this or that. Boast in the Lord and what he's done. You guys have already done that today. Praise the Lord. And we want to continue that. We want to pass that along to our children, our grandchildren, that they would boast in the Lord. Now, what do you think about when you think of underdogs, right? Who's the underdog? I usually think of sports stories. Uh, one of my all-time favorite movies, one of the few reasons that I started to like Indiana was Hoosiers. <laughs> That's like an ultimate underdog story, right? Nobody expects that they can do something, and they do something amazing. So the next few weeks, we're going to look at these characters. And it's not necessarily they're always in a battle or whatever, but what I would kind of word it is, they're the kind of people that other people would just write off and say, I don't think you can do much. I don't think you're worth a lot. I don't think you're really useful. And I want you to see how God takes and uses those people, just like we saw in 1 Corinthians already, God loves to take the weak things and do great things. Amen. He loves to take the weak things and do great things. And so we need to realize that and hopefully be encouraged. Uh, I want us to realize that uh, God can use us even in our weakness, and he can and will do great things. Uh, hopefully you'll be reminded how valuable you are to God, no matter how valuable you feel to others. And that may be a message that you're okay with, but maybe there's some people in your life that they don't feel valuable at all. I think there's some people that are connected to our church right now that they don't feel a lot of value right now. And I want us to be able to share that message with others. I want you to pray and truly hope, like the biblical type of hope, in what God wants to do with you and with us as a church. I want to remind you this morning that while your big mistake may be what defines you for many people God may define you differently, and that is what really matters. You guys, we live in a world today where your one big mistake defines you to the world, don't we? Right? I think that's sad as a world that we don't offer more forgiveness. But what I want to remind you today, we look in the scriptures, there's a lot of people who made a big mistake, and yet God did something incredible with their life. So don't let your mistakes define you today. Let the Lord uh, define you by how he wants to use you. God wants to use us and we need to surrender our will to him. And I, I would encourage you today, let's see what God can do with a little church that doesn't have hundreds of talented people or a great speaker, preacher, and tons of money. Let's see what God can do with a group of people that are weak and broken, but completely surrendered to him and his will. 
And here's what I want you to see today. This is the main point. The real truth is that if God is on our side, we are never the underdog. <laughs> Isn't that good? We really aren't the underdog. That's kind of the, I had a hard time with this series, like saying, well, let's talk about the underdogs. But really the bottom line is, if my backup is the almighty creator of the universe, I really, I'm in the, the majority opinion here. I'm probably going to get the win. I'm going to get the win if it's God's will. Amen? So I want you to think that way as well. I don't want you to get in a victim mentality or a defeatist mentality. I want you to see that God is your backup. And that when he is your backup, what he wants to do, he will accomplish. So again, if God is on our side, we are, we are not the underdogs. All right, today, let's look over. We're going to Joshua chapter 2. And you guys, many of you guys have heard this story uh, probably on multiple occasions. But it's a great reminder of someone that a lot of other people would write off that God uses in just unbelievable way. Her name is Rahab. So we'll be in Joshua chapter 2. We have quite a few scriptures this morning, but bear with me and we'll try to go through them on the screen as well. And we'll get our kind of our setting and our context, okay? Let's first off look at Israel's situation. Israel's situation. Joshua chapter 2 and beginning verse 1. The word of God says, Then Joshua the son of Nun secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. And the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. Verse 3, so the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. Verse 5, at dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Now we're not going to do a whole Israelite history here this morning. Just a reminder, right the Israelites had left Egypt. God had given them and told them there would be a promised land. All the way back in our Sunday school class, we've been studying Abraham, God's promises there. He's about to act out those promises through Moses and then here through Joshua. And so the people of Israel have finally, they've served their time, if you will, their 40 years in the wilderness, and they're ready to go and take the promise that God has given them. So Joshua is about to finish something that was started 40 years ago and one of the first things that they're going to do is they're going to go to Jericho and there they're going to figure out what they're going to do for the Lord's will. They send spies to see what happens, what's going to go on. You guys remember the first round of sending spies? That's why they ended up in the wilderness, right? Because <laughs> they had 10 guys that said, oh, we're too weak. We're too small. We can't do anything. There's no way our God's not powerful enough. to do." They didn't say that exactly, but that's the message that came across, right? And then there were two guys. Caleb and the guy that we're talking about this morning, Joshua, and what do they say? God's got this. <laughs> but they got overruled. And sometimes that happens, right? And that whole, over a million people, a million Israelites wandered the wilderness for 40 years because they wouldn't trust that God would do his promises in them. So here we are 40 years later, they're getting another chance 
at the promised land. Now, Rahab's our main character, and what a character. Who was Rahab? Oh, boy, yeah. First thing, the Scripture lets us know, to some people, Rahab would just be a prostitute. That's how she would be defined, right? Oh, man, you, you guys don't go over that place by the wall. You don't, want, don't be around that lady. We don't hang around those kind of people. She has no business uh, of, of even pretending that she has any integrity or any value. Okay? To some, Rahab was, was a prostitute. What do you think her neighbors thought about her? What do you think the other women on the wall would say about her? Here's what I want you to think a little bit today. What do you think Rahab thought about herself? Right? That human trafficking was so interesting, wasn't it? Like human trafficking at age 13, it doesn't all happen at 13, did it? We saw like when that little child was three or five or nine, how they were neglected and how they were possibly abused and how they didn't have the things they need and they end up with a real esteem issue and somebody comes in and manipulates that where that little child wants some value, they want some esteem and that's how they're able to get into a horrible lifestyle because they didn't have that worth. And I don't know, I don't know what Rahab's history was, right? I don't know what her parents were like or her grandparents or what had happened in her life to put her in this situation. I don't know how she felt about herself, but I'm sure that there were some people that thought that Rahab didn't have a lot of value. So to some, she's a prostitute. To others, she was a Gentile. <laughs> Think about that for a second, right? The Jews are coming in. They're coming into this land. They're going to take God's promises. And they, Jews, couldn't stand Gentiles. And so probably even some of the spies possibly even would have not had a lot of trust for her. And especially some of the people back home would be like, you are uh, collaborating with who? What are you doing? You're trusting them? Are you, are you crazy? So that might have been a little bit as well. To others, Rahab would just be a liar. She lied once, she might do it again. To others, Rahab would be a traitor. Would she be loyal? Could she be trusted? I mean, I'm glad she helped us out, but I don't think I want my kids around her. But who was Rahab to God? Unbelievable. This, is, this story is just so crazy. Rahab was valuable to God. Everybody else that might have thought her weak or dirty or insufficient or not useful, and yet God sees her as special. The king hears the spies. He tries to track them down. Rahab hides them, sends the king's guards on a wild goose chase. And here's what I want to challenge you again with this morning. We need to see people the way that God sees them. Have we done that phrase enough when we do our integrity, our, I mean, our uh, dignity and sanctity of life, right? See Jesus and everyone you meet. Amen? This is that truth here, right? We need to see people the way that God sees them. Uh, even last night, Isaiah and I were talking. We were at this gas station and, of course, when you're at a gas station at, like, 2.45 in the morning, and there are people just kind of hanging around the parking lot and going inside and talking, and it's just like, wait a minute, right? So we're kind of curious if his vehicle will still be there when we need to get it later. And then Isaiah said, well, who knows? Maybe they'll get out there, and they'll open it up and figure out and fix it, and it'll be fixed for me. Because <laughs> what do we do, right? We assume things about people so quickly, right? If, if you have, like we've been seeing on the crazy gecko commercials, if your hair is blue, what do we assume about you, right, Diane? We make assumptions. <laughs> when we look at certain settings and situations, we just make assumptions. 
And yet what I'm trying to challenge you again today is we need to look at the value of a person the way that God is a person. And God saw value in Rahab. And here's another challenge this morning. Sometimes we need to see ourselves the way that God sees us. Hello? It can go both ways. Oh, I'm fine. I'm perfect. I'm doing great. Well, maybe you need to see how God really sees you. But what I really want you to think about today is those people who think, I'm useless. I failed again. I can't have any talent. I can't do anything for God. Nothing in my life is like it was. I just, I give up. I just can't do this. And I want you to see the way that God values you today. Here's somebody that everybody else would have written off as worthless. And what you're about to find out about her is unbelievably incredible. All right. God has big plans for us, but we have to be willing to receive his grace. Okay, let's look at God's reputation. Go down to verse 8 with me. Before the spies lay down for the night, she, Rahab, went up on the roof, and she said to them, I know that the Lord God has given this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, who you completely destroyed. We have heard of it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Isn't that awesome? We need to be sharing those stories. And people around us ought to be like, whoa, that was God at work. Did you know what God did? Kind of what Wendy's been sharing about her, her friend, right? God answered this prayer. God delivered in this situation. This is what God did for this person. And that's the kind of people that we need to be, that God's reputation would precede us. Rahab says, well, we heard of the Red Sea. <laughs> we heard of the Amorite kings. We know that Jehovah is God. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. How did Rahab receive God's grace? What did she do? She humbled herself in the midst of God's glory. Go back with me to 1 Corinthians this morning, right? Why does God choose the weak things? Why does God choose the things that everyone else thinks are foolish? Why does God choose them? So that no one would boast except in the Lord. That's the same thing here, right? And Rahab humbles herself in the midst of God's glory. And because of that, God is going to use her. She may have been afraid of the king of Jericho or that area. She may have been afraid of the army, but she was more afraid of the Lord Almighty. Hear the Lord speak today. Sometimes we, uh, our motives are driven by a reverence for God Almighty. Instead of concerning herself with what everyone else was thinking, she was concerned about what this Jehovah God would think. And that changed her. That helped her make her decisions. You guys know this, but Hebrews chapter 11, 31, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. <laughs> Here we are about 3,000 years later talking about a prostitute because she was so obedient to the God that she knew and presented himself to her. Wow, huh? Somebody that everybody else in her day would have thought. Can you imagine that now? If those ladies on the wall that were always gossiping about Rahab, if they found out that she was known by probably over a billion people in the world because of her faith. Hang on with me here this morning. What if one of you, or one of, even one of these guys, 
Maybe we'll be passed on and long gone and in heaven, but we get to look down like Joni was talking about, and we find out that, who knows, maybe there's 50 or 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 people in South America or over in the Middle East that come to know Christ because you uh, helped one of these guys or because you helped a homeless person get encouragement again or because you prayed for a friend or because you helped someone in need, right? We don't know the whole story. And that's the whole point today. You don't know the whole story, but God is in control of the story. So humble yourself to him and see what he will do with you with a life that's fully devoted and committed to him. All right, keep going with me, guys. I know I'll try to keep moving through this. There's a lot to the story. Look in verse 12, Rahab's expectation. Rahab says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her, if you don't tell what we are doing. We will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. Verse 15. So she let them down by a rope to the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. And she said to them, go to the hill so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. Verse 17, the men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and your mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we'll be released from the oath you made us swear. Verse 21, agreed, she replied, let it be as you say. So she sent them away and departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. You guys know Rahab's deal here. Simple, right? Basically, if you keep your end of the bargain, we'll keep our end of the bargain. That's the super short part of that story. Rahab lets them do down the rope, and then Rahab's supposed to lay out a scarlet thread in a window so they would recognize who they were to save. And if you guys have studied much in theology, a lot of people use this passage to tie together the whole Bible. And they call it that scarlet thread of redemption. If you start with the uh, Jesus being prophesied about in Genesis 3.15, where it says that the, the snake will strike his heel, but he will crush his head. And if you go all the way to Revelation, where the angels are bowing down and saying glory and power and honor, it all is a redemption story beginning to end. And this scarlet thread is what ties it all together. It's the scarlet thread of grace and redemption that runs all through the scriptures. And this story has not stopped today. It didn't stop in Revelation. God is still redeeming those who would seek his face. And he's still using the underdogs to make his name great. <laughs> All right, let's finish up. You guys know this from hopefully from Sunday way back when. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Except on that day, they circled the city seven times. And the seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord God. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. In verse 23, excuse me, 22. 
So Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spine went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and her brothers and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. Verse 25. But Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies in Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. This is where it just gets amazing. <laughs> God was gracious to Rahab. He spared her life, which is gracious enough. Amen. He preserved the lives of her family members. But then she was able, again, this prostitute, this Gentile, was able to live among the family of Israel. That's what God does. He takes the outcasts and the outsiders and he brings them into his family. You guys, how can I say this so clear? We have a world right now of outcasts and outsiders, people who are always, they're just clamoring in every way they can to be diverse and be different. But what they're really looking for is love and community. And God says, I am home for you. We need to be the ones saying, yes, we love you. Yes, you're accepted. Yes, the Lord cares about you. He wants to know you inside and out. But he doesn't want to leave you as you are. He wants to make you what he wants you to be, which will make you feel with the most joy you could ever know. That's the gospel today. And here again, we see this, how God is gracious to Rahab. Now, to many people, Rahab will always be the harlot or the prostitute. But what did God do with her? Look at Matthew. Ma Matthew, what? <laughs> Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. The Bible says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. And if you know your lineage, Jesse was the father of David. Where did Rahab end up? Where did this harlot prostitute end up? She ends up in the lineage of Jesus Christ. She wasn't a harlot. She was royalty. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> When God looked at her, he said, you are so special, you're going to be part of the lineage of my son. Without Rahab, there is no Jesus. Think about that. Everybody else would put her down and say she's worthless, say she's useless. She doesn't matter. And God says, no, no, she matters so much, she's going to be in the line of my son. You think about Boaz and dealing with Ruth, right? Ruth was the Moabitess. <laughs> she was a Gentile. I wonder if baby Boaz had kind of a soft spot for Gentiles because his mother was a Gentile prostitute. And here he is loving Ruth. And here through this whole family of underdogs <laughs> comes the Savior of the world. Whew. Amen. You guys, don't be discouraged today. Don't be so hard on yourself. Ask the Lord Lord, you be hard on me where I need it, but Lord, you lift me up where I need it so I can be everything you want to be because I know you got my back and I want to be on your team because I know that's the team that will win. Again, God loves to use the weak things and the broken things. Real quick quote here from Vance Havner. I just really liked it this morning. God uses broken things, broken soil to produce a crop, 
broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to break bread, broken bread to give strength. It's the broken alabaster box that gives out the perfume. It is Peter, weeping bitterly, who returns to greater power than ever. Isn't that good? God likes the broken things. So if you messed up, and you feel like you've been defined by your mistakes or your failures, if the devil is still hitting you up about all the places where you are lousy and you're no good and you can't handle it, this is the reminder of you today that God says, you know what? That's perfect because that's what I like to do. I like to confound the wise. I like to confound the powerful and the rich. I like to use the, the weak things and show my power through them. Again today, hope again. And I'm not just saying like hope, like, oh, I wish. I'm saying hope, like the biblical hope. Have confidence in your God. Believe again, God is not done with you. He wants to use your life for his redemption story. And again, with God on your side, you are never, you are never an underdog, all right? Let's stand this morning and we'll have prayer. And we'll do announcements after prayer time today. Heavenly Father, today, we just love your word and we love the character of who you are. Lord, I can just really feel how many people would have written off Rahab as worthless and useless. And more, maybe even at times she would have defined herself as valueless. And yet, Lord, in a reverent fear of you, she obeyed. And then you found her a home and a family. And Lord, you used her in one of the most significant ways on the whole entire planet that she would be part of the story of Jesus. Dear God, today, first off, would you help us not to write people off? Lord, I'm so guilty of this in my own life. Lord, when somebody has a different opinion or they make different choices, Lord, I'm just so quick to say, well, you know, they're useless. They're not worth much. They're not very valuable. Lord, please today break my heart and help me to see people the way that you see them and see the value that you see them and see the potential that they have if they will just humble themselves to you. Lord, let us speak the truth and love to everyone in that sense. Lord, today, if there's anybody here that they feel empty or worthless or valueless, Lord, would you speak to their hearts today? Encourage them. Lord, today, would you help them very simply just to submit and say, Lord, I, I trust you. Even this morning, Lord, we saw and were reminded in our Sunday school class to just trust you with the details. And Lord, we may not know all the plans you have for us, but Lord, we pray that you'd help us to submit to your will and we would trust you with the details and know that everything would be great. God, fill us with your spirit this week as we leave this place. Help us to know when to stop and when to run. And Lord, help us to be obedient. Lord, please help us to speak the gospel this coming week. And Lord, help us to live it, that the people around us would know that we're not the underdogs, Lord, but that we are full of your power when we are submitted to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for your patience today. Um, I wonder if anybody has any announcements.